I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. I won't let my body outweigh, outweigh everything that I'm made of. Won't spend my life trying to change. I'm learning to love who I am. I am strong, I feel free. I know every part of me is beautiful, and I will always outweigh. If you feel it, put your hands in the air. Show some love to the new while you're there. Let's take it one day at a time, cause you and I outweigh. Happy Saturday, Outweigh fam. Amy here, and I am sitting across from Christy Amadio. And I'm going to have you uh, give us your little bio in a second and where you're coming to us from. But I got to say, I just got done watching Christy's TEDx talk on YouTube and I was like, well, I'm going to watch a little bit here and I'm kind of do this. And the next thing you know, I'm sitting down in front of my computer, totally like into the story. And I'm just so grateful for people like Christy that have used their story and then taken it to others. And I know that you're super passionate about helping people, anyone and everyone all across the world. So thank you for taking the time to join us on Outway today. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about you and your story. And obviously people may now know that you've spoken. You have an accent. (laughs) I do have an accent. So um, I'm back living in New Zealand. Um, I'm kind of from all over. I was born in England. My parents are from New Zealand. I grew up in Australia and then I moved to New Zealand when I was 24. And then after I recovered, which I'll get into, I actually moved to the States for five years, which it's absolutely a piece of my heart. Um, so you get different accents coming out of my mouth all the time. But in terms of my story, it's so soulful for me to be able to talk about being recovered because it's not something that I ever thought was on the cards for me. I struggled with 
disordered eating and an eating disorder for 14 years. And I got told in two different countries that I was chronic and I'd never fully recover. And I got taught to, you know, in air quotes, like manage my eating disorder. They said, well, you can still be high functioning. You can still, you know, have a job and have relationships, but you just have to manage it. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. If that's what I have to do, like, okay. And I was never told that I could have a better quality of life. And so I think for so long, Nobody knew I had an eating disorder because it was so hidden by, you know, I, I exercised so much. My career became in the outdoors so that I, I was like, I could just get paid to have an eating disorder and just exercise all the time. Great. And so I became an outdoor guide, like working, like taking people out in the bush and taking people kayaking. And in my head, I was like, well, that's okay because I can exercise all the time and I'm getting paid for it. And, and th- this is okay. Right. And I kind of just kept that up for a very long time. And everyone just thought that was, that's just Christy. She likes to exercise and, you know, she's really quote unquote, like healthy with her food, but deep inside, I'd wake up every morning and think about how many hours I had to do or what I had to eat, or if I was going out that night where I'd have to compensate later on. And it, it just, it came to a head where I think the eating disorder, I like to say it was like a termite. And it just chipped away and chipped away and chipped away until one day I woke up and the house had fallen down around my ears and I was deep, deep, deep in an eating disorder. And once again, being told that I'd never get better. That's a great analogy. The termite analogy. I think that that's an excellent way to put it because it chips away. It's like you don't realize there's a problem until (laughs) it's no longer sustainable the until until you're like there's a problem (laughs) yeah the foundation is about to collapse because it's being eroded away and eaten away and the title of your TED talk in case people want to search it up is it's time to do eating disorder recovery differently and why is it that you chose to speak on that in particular yeah that's such a great question so what happened is my my termite house fell down around my ears and I got told in New Zealand, like, Hey, you know, you're chronic. This is going to be the pattern of your adult years. You're going to have times of doing, doing okay. And you're going to have times where you're going to be struggling again. And I said, I said, well, if that's the life you're forecasting for me, then I don't want to live it because it's not living. It it was existing. And so I searched online for support worldwide because I was like, there has to be something somewhere. I just had this thing inside of me, I think that always held on to a glimmer of hope, even when it felt hopeless. And I found this treatment center in America that talked about being fully recovered. And I was like, well, that's nice for them, but maybe I can just get a little bit better, you know? And I called them up and the lady on the phone, I'll always remember her. And she said, Christy, she said, I don't care how long you've had an eating disorder. I don't care how many times you've tried to recover. I don't care how sick you've been. We absolutely believe everyone can recover. And it just, it was so foreign, but it felt, I was so drawn to that concept. And uh, long story short, I ended up going to America for eating disorder treatment. And it was just a different world. Like I was so used to Australia and New Zealand, which bless their heart. I think they're doing the very best they can with what they know and what they have available. And America has something that's so different. And for me, what was different was it was a home. It wasn't a hospital. A portion of the staff had had eating disorders and had recovered every single day. It was like life in recovery. I wasn't sitting in a room just being given food and that that was the goal it was like no we're going to teach you how to recover we're going to go out to restaurants we're going to go grocery shopping we're going to go to the beach we're going to go to the movies it was living life in recovery and negotiating all of that and so when i left treatment 
And I started to, to go back out in the world. I was like, you know what, this just has to come out to the world. And I want to I want to do eating disorder treatment differently for people. And I want to take a piece of that. And so I started to do that myself in helping others. And so what are the ways that you do that? Because I mean, that is, I have goosebumps thinking that getting into or finding a treatment center that believed in you and your recovery and that it was possible and you having that hope and then going there. And then, yeah, it's not like you leave right away and it's like, oh, a magic wand was waved and suddenly you're recovered, but it changed the trajectory of your life. You now felt this calling of like, I can help others. So what is it that you've developed since you left where you were and, um, and you're, and you're helping others out in the world. 100%. And I think that's such an important thing to know. Like so often people say to me, well, it's like you left and you just recovered. And I'm like, I didn't, <laughs> I left and I struggled and life happened and I had to navigate life in the real world. So I want to say there was one, it wasn't like I left treatment recovered. I left treatment with hope. I left treatment knowing what I had to do. I left treatment with a, with a, with a hunger to be recovered. Like I knew it and I wanted it. It was like a, like an athlete going for a goal. And I was like, this is what I want. You know, it took a couple of years after I left treatment to be recovered. But what happened is I went back to working in the outdoors, which was fantastic to have a different relationship with food and a different relationship with exercise and a different relationship with my body. You know, I was back being in the outdoors because I loved it, not because I felt like I had to punish myself. And that was really important to me. And I actually had an experience where I fell off a cliff. So I was out in the bush and I fell off a cliff and I damaged my feet and it actually ended my outdoor career. And I was like devastated. And it was like, well, what can I do? And I was like, well, I can eat food and I'm good with people. <laughs> and I actually already had a therapy degree, which I just wasn't using because I, I like the outdoors. And so I decided to go back into therapy and specialize in eating disorders. And I wanted to do more than just traditional talk therapy. And so I came up with this concept of, for me, going from residential treatment and going back home, that was hard. And it was hard because I came back to New Zealand to a country that didn't understand the process I'd been through to, and I think when we recover, we recover into a disordered world. There's so much out there that's in restaurants, it's in family structures, it's in beliefs, it's in gyms. So I thought, you know, for people that either can't go to treatment because of whatever reason, maybe they've got four kids and they're a single mom, maybe they can't afford it, maybe it's not in their country. I was like, what if I kind of bought treatment to people? And so I came up with this concept of live-ins where I would go and live with people in their home. And that could be once they left treatment or it could be because they could never go. And so I kind of, I was like, I don't even know if people would want to do that, but I would have really liked that for myself. And I, you know, went on a women of prayer to America because that was where my, I guess my, my chosen family was my, my recovery family, my community. And it just took off. Um, within a couple of months, I had a year long wait list and, I think I went to seven or eight different countries all around the world, um, living with people in their homes. And I just had the most humbling, beautiful experiences where I got to live with people and help them change, not just within themselves, but look at their environment. And it's like, no, no, when, when you go to the grocery store, you don't park three blocks away, you park in the parking lot, you know, <laughs> and little things like that, that I think never get addressed in treatment because you can't. And just working with the family as a whole, it was such, such a gift. And then the second kind of thread that I started was also online because I was starting to get reach outs from people in Israel, people in Scotland, people in Denmark. And I was like, wow. And so I started this online piece. I like to say that I started online therapy before COVID did. <laughs> we got people just wanting support, people who couldn't get the support in their own countries. 
and people that wanted to work with someone that had recovered, people that wanted someone that believed in them. And so very quickly that got really busy as well. And so I really like to have, hold those two threads of having the live-in support and also having the online piece. Where can people access the online piece? Yeah, absolutely. Through the website. So recoveredliving.com. Um, so now I'm back in New Zealand. Um, I've also got five other coaches that work for me in America. They're all fully recovered. They're all fantastic. I love them all. And yeah, they've, we've got clients from all over the world, which is fantastic to me. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
We're on Zoom so I can see Christy's face and it, it is pure joy bouncing back off the computer to me because like when you said that you love the other people working with you, like you, I could tell that was very, very sincere and probably the excitement y'all feel coming together collectively all if you've got five and then including you, is that six? Yeah. So think of the amount of people y'all are able to reach coming together for that. I just, I think it's amazing because a lot of people are familiar with recovery from alcoholism at, at times. And when people have entered treatment, I have people in my life that have come out of that. I never went to any residential treatment for my eating disorder, but I am familiar with addiction to alcohol and you come out of that and you instantly have all of the support and there's AA meetings and you have a sponsor and you have like, it is a rigorous routine because it's again, an alcohol is something that can be all around you, but you have your different things that you have to do to stay the course. And I, I feel like similarly food can be an addiction but we also need food to survive, right? So then there's it's this uh, very difficult dynamic because you can never touch alcohol again, and that's the goal. But food, you have to touch every single day. And even in your TED Talk, it's like it should be the first thing you do every single day. And when you were doing your live-ins with people, it's like, nope, you wake up, you eat breakfast. That's just what you do. Don't put off the food. Don't start the restriction. Don't get busy. Don't make food the last thing on your list because the minute you start to implement that, you'll start to see the change. But I'm, I'm kind of rambling here now. And I, I, I just feel like what you're doing with the live-ins and the online and giving people that support, the tangible support, the change, the ongoing, because it is ongoing. I have been what I would call, quote unquote, in recovery for two years, but I still put myself to work every single day to combat different thoughts or old behaviors, or when I'm met with other things from society, I have to shut it down, change the channel. Just, I know some people are new and they might be listening to this episode because they're curious to try to figure out. And I just wanted to share a little bit about like a, some recovery comparison to other things you might be familiar with, at least that I feel like are talked about more, like alcoholism and AA that's integrated into movies and storylines and different things. And we're starting to see eating disorders show up. But the more people share and get vulnerable and talk about things, then the more, quote unquote, normal it will seem. Absolutely. And I think you touched on such an important piece there because it's like, you know, if you struggle with substances, it's like, don't take the substances like that's, that's your remedy. But I think for someone with an eating disorder, you have to eat every single day. And so it's a different type of recovery because you really have to heal your relationship with food. You don't have to abstain from food. You have to heal your relationship with it. And one of my favorite quotes is it's about a tiger. And I think, you know, for someone that's in recovery, they go and pat the tiger every single day in the cage or they take it for a walk when you're in recovery. But when you're recovered, I like to say there just is no tiger. Like I have a completely different relationship with food in my body today. And I don't feel like, like I don't have to struggle anymore. I, I just eat food and I live in my body and I love my life and it's the greatest gift I can have. And I know, and I know when I was in my eating disorder, that just felt so impossible. It just felt like way too much of a bridge. But I want to say to anybody listening, you may not believe that you can recover until you're actually there. Like it's okay to doubt yourself 
and go forwards anyway. You know, and I think that's the truth is you just, you just have to, you just have to start and you have to dive in and take that tiger for a walk. And one day you'll go to get the tiger and you'll be like, oh, it's not there anymore. You said that all you need to have, and this is something that I have in writing from you, all you need to have is the curiosity of what it would be like to not have an eating disorder in order to start your journey to recovery. Yes. Like you just gave me goosebumps and they were my work. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, that's, you don't even have to want to recover. You know, I'm talking with clients right now that are like, I don't even know if I want to recover. And I'm like, that's okay. Let's just be, let's start with the curiosity of, do I even want that? Like, let's just start there. Talk about that one a little bit more. Like why would someone not want to recover? Mm-hmm. So many reasons. I mean, for myself, like I put my whole life savings on the line to go to America and I still fought it hard. I didn't, I didn't turn up with a smile and a hug. I turned up like I am suspicious of everybody here. And for me, I didn't want to recover because my eating disorder was an identity because it was my safety. I was like, who will I be without it? How will I cope? Will I be okay? I couldn't envisage a life without my eating disorder. And I think for so many people, they're not sure they want to give up that control because it's like, well, I, another thing that I like to say is I think people's ability to recover is directly proportional to their ability to surrender. And so for me, I was all about the 90%. Oh, I'll recover 90%, but that 10%, I am hanging on to that. And I was huge about that. And it was like, I just wanted to be safe. I wanted to keep an eye on myself. And the truth is that would have been a termite that I didn't eradicate. And in 10 years time, I would have woken up with my house around my ears again. And that last 10% was huge to say, I am surrendering to my body's set point. I'm surrendering to the fact that I don't actually have control of my shoe size in the same way that I don't have control of my body shape, size, body composition, all of those pieces. And for me, that was the clincher on being recovered when I can surrender into that. And when I let go of that 10%, everything else fell into place. Okay. You said set point. So define that for people, because I think that's an important thing. So set point, a disclaimer, I'm not a dietitian, but set point is essentially, it's like our body has a genetic weight range, weight composition, weight size, shape that it wants to be. And, you know, in the same way we have a shoe size or a face shape or an eye shape, we can control it if we want to, our set point but we'll never be truly free. And I think that's the difference is because society is so constantly saying you can have a flat stomach, you can have, you know, thighs like this or shoulders like that. You can, but at what cost? That's exactly the thought I had in my head. If you weren't going to say it, I was about to say, but at what cost? Yeah. When you think of all that you sacrifice when your eating disorder is in control, I think of the relationships that suffered so much of my life was ruled. Well, in fact, the whole thing. When I was deep into it, everything was centered around my eating disorder, but it was all in my head. It's not like people knew, but like every thought, uh, every relationship, every dinner out, every uh, parties that I missed, celebrations that I didn't take part in, you know, amazing food that my family cooked that I didn't eat. Nights I stayed home alone because I was too nervous to go out or felt gross in my body and just didn't even want to deal with it. So yeah, I think having a healthy perspective on what is your set point when you're in it, you're like, I don't even know because I've been, been manipulating for years. But once you get there and you feel the joy and you're no longer consumed by all those thoughts or you can walk past a mirror without having to turn and look and assess and judge yourself, uh, it's just freedom you know, it will sometimes can rear up, but when you have the tools 
then you can bust them out from your back pocket and be like, not today. Not today, Tiger. Absolutely. And also there's this piece, I think, like, I think two things. One, having grace. Like I turned 37 like a month ago and I was like, I woke up the one morning and I was like, huh, my body's squishier than it used to be. And I was like, interesting. This must happen as you get older. And it was like, there was no part of me that was like, I have to change my food. I have to exercise more. This isn't okay. There's this grace that my set point, my body composition, my shape, my size, that's going to change over time. And that's okay. And I think that came with being recovered and it came with time in the saddle. And I often say that like, I feel more recovered this year than I did last year. And that doesn't mean I wasn't recovered last year. It just means that I've got more time being human. And so I think too, with, you know, when I was in recovery, I was like, I don't want my body. I don't want my body at that set point. I don't want that. I don't see how I can be happy with that. I don't see how I can live with that. And part of recovery for me was actually living in that, not liking it, but doing it anyway. It's kind of that piece of, I don't know if I can recover, but I'm going to give it a shot. And it's like, I don't think I can live in this body. Like there was so many times I would cry to my therapist. I don't think I can live in this body. And she was like, okay, but let's try Let's, let's just give it a shot. And as I leaned further into recovery and then as I recovered, I actually started to want the body that I had. And now I want the body that I have because this body means I can do all these amazing things. Like this body with the lumps and the bumps and the whatevers that I didn't like before, this body means that I have relationships and this body means that I get to travel and this body means that I wake up feeling well. And I actually want this body now. Whereas when I was in recovery, I was like, nope, (laughs) I'll recover, but I want my eating disorder body (laughs) and it doesn't work like that. And so I think the message that I really want to give is, well, for me, when I recovered, I started to want the body that I had. And that was a real turning point as well. Yeah, well, because we've been conditioned to, you know, by all the things, the media, society, different things, that this is what the body is supposed to look like when really, uh, we should have had no no conditioning there whatsoever. No one should be telling us this is what we're striving for. But once you build those new neural pathways and you start to fall in love with your body and yeah, then you just don't even think about it. It's amazing what our brains are capable of when, like you said, you just start doing it. Just start doing it. It's not easy at all. But that's why even sometimes I do that with actual like food. I know in the TEDx talk you did, it was it talked about like unloading groceries for the first time and like all the things, like even like, I can't remember the exact food, but the, the, the eggs and the lettuce with the cookies and you had pantry full of things and a fridge full of things. And, you know, I'll still catch myself at the grocery store sometimes being like, uh, I'm not going to get the cookies. And then I'm like, don't get the cookies. I'll hear some voice. Don't get the cookies. And then you know what? I come right back and I'm like, you know what? Cook- cookies are going in the basket now because brain don't challenge me now. I'm going to keep buying the freaking cookies until my brain knows that it's no big deal. If I want the cookies, I get the cookies. If I don't want the cookies, I don't get the cookies. But I yeah. I had to build the new neuropathway. <laughs> you do it until it's not hard and then you just keep doing it because you want to. Right. Well, Christy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And I encourage people to check out more at recoveredliving.com. And you can see all the amazing work that Christy and her team are doing. But again, the TEDx talk is it's time to do eating disorder recovery differently. And that you are, Christy. Are your socials and all your stuff on recoveredliving.com? Yeah. So we have recoveredliving.com. We also have recoveredlivingnz.com, which I know in America is pronounced NZ. Um, And that's a residential eating disorder treatment charity that I've started up in New Zealand. We're opening in October. So feel free to check that out as well. So recoveredlivingnz.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you and all of your work. Thank you.
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.